0: Pretty nice setup I've got up here. Pretty comfortable. Um, so first day. And for many of you, it's been. Is this record? Is this coming out? Okay, thanks. Uh, first day of a retreat. For many of you, almost half. This is your first retreat. And so first day of our first retreat, uh, it's often very memorable. Uh, We may be looking forward to um, our beds tonight by now. And um, just want to let you know that um, it's really common um, that uh, when one comes into a situation like this, an environment that you're not used to, and also a schedule that's you know, fairly rigorous, Um, you know, it asks a lot of us, you know, um, the the retreat schedule, especially initially, especially in the early stages of a retreat when we're going through such an adjustment, both physically, emotionally, you know, getting used to our community that we're practicing in and conditions that don't necessarily follow our routines and our preferences. Um, And so it does take that commitment, Um, to come here and and take this on, because it is a significant practice. So tonight, I would like to talk about this path of awakening, which is what it is. Um, And I would particularly like to emphasize and talk about wise effort and attitude in relationship to this process of awakening which is what we're engaged in um, in this practice so when we talk about the path of awakening of course we're talking about insight meditation and what we're t- also talking about is um, it's a path that needs to be lived it needs to be realized it's not something that uh, we can just simply rely on uh, secondhand knowledge you know, um, Even the Buddha said that, said, you know, that this is something to be realized for each and every one of us and to be tested and to see for ourselves whether it uh, is worth the effort, whether it um, bears fruit. And the teachings and everything that is talked about, uh, about this path, it's really as, it's really fingers pointing to the moon, you know, it's. The teachings are the fingers, but we're meant to look at that moon and take it in. Not to get fixated on the fingers, but to really take the practice into our lives, to begin to absorb and practice, which is what it is. I think that's very uh, helpful to understand that, that it's a practice. It's not just something that uh, someone just is... Initially, just really talented, and you know, they just take it up and boom, 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 and they're enlightened, or they're feeling just tremendous all the time. And um, you know, that it's not that some people are talented, others aren't. It's 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 simply a practice. And when we practice mindfulness, when we practice this path of awakening, when we walk this particular journey, um, we're nurturing the same qualities. We're nurturing inner qualities that are already there that's why we emphasize over and over again it's not about manufacturing calm it's not about manufacturing peace it's not about creating or or manufacturing any particular experience at all and it's why I trust this practice because it's not about creating it's not about becoming Um, it's not a path of just just improving or fixing yourself But it's about you know tapping in to what's there already and nurturing that, so what are we awakening from? 'll start with that point, and then we'll we'll be going into what we're awakening into so we're awakening from uh, which I feel is um, crucial on the path, which is we're awakening from a place of living from a, from a place of being very unconscious often. Um, unconscious often of our thinking processes, often unconscious of our actions and our activities. Oftentimes we're playing out unconscious patterns and habits. And oftentimes we're coming from a place of our conditioning. You know, the things that we've learned and we, we take the things that we learned and we bring them into the present moment. And oftentimes we're experiencing the present moment through that lens, through that history, through that accumulation of knowledge and all the subtle messages that we pick up along the way. What the Buddha said was that what we don't see is what we practice. What we don't see is what we practice. And so for many of us, what we've done is we've accumulated a lot of habits that work against our freedom. We, we've accumulated a lot of conditioned habits that create and generate a lot of suffering. And as long as they're unconscious, we're going to keep doing it. We keep reinforcing it. We keep experiencing our moment-to-moment life, our moment-to-moment experience of self in the beings and the environment that we're living in. We experience it often through through that filter. So this awakening process and this mindfulness is such a powerful practice. And uh, Sometimes why it's a bit of a difficult practice is because um, when we begin to pay attention more carefully through by cultivating this quality of non-judging attention, you know, this silent attention that's not imposing anything on the experience itself, it's just allowing us to meet it for what it is we begin to explore on a much deeper level. We go be- beyond that, uh, beyond the level of preconceptions about who we are, about what this life is about, what leads to happiness and what doesn't. And we begin to see it for ourselves. And that's why it's worth the effort. We awaken from kind of habitual ways that we relate to ourselves, and, and so often on retreat, we, got, we run right into that. Sometimes it's like running into a wall. You know, that wall of ideas and concepts and views and opinions about who we are and what our experience should or shouldn't be. You know, we sit there and we tell ourselves all sorts of stories often about what our experience should be, where our life should be, where our life shouldn't be, what our bodies should be or shouldn't be. And it generates a lot of suffering when we get caught up in that. I was just thinking as I was coming down today, coming into the hall, what if I really got caught up in saying, uh, you know, I shouldn't have broken my arm. You know, I really shouldn't have done that. You're you're a complete idiot for breaking your arm. Now, would that be helpful? That Would that, like, support my healing or process or growth or whatever of course not of course not it would generate more suffering right so rather than necessarily getting caught in those judgments and those judgments can come up you know when we do something when we have something like this happen or when we we run into something or something happens to us very quickly we can blame ourselves and, and create a lot of self judgments when the reality was it was just conditions coming together and for some reason, this left arm and me, we seem to have difficult karma together, because uh, this isn't the first one. <laughs> it really isn't, and it's unfortunate, <laughs> but it does happen. Um, so we awaken from these habitual ways of relating to ourselves. You know, instead of the self-judging and all of that, mindfulness begins to create some room and some space, because it actually each moment of mindfulness is a moment of freedom. It's a moment of freedom from our habitual ways of seeing things and experiencing things it's awakening from you know deeply held and con- you know we learned so much along the way these brains they absorb so much along the way and and what we've often absorbed are are, are is an understanding of life that creates a lot of suffering for us um, we, 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 the mind is often confused uh, about what leads to happiness and, and what does generate or cause suffering. And, and we're taught so often to look outside ourselves. Um, and it's not that outside of ourselves is irrelevant to our happiness or unhappiness, but we forget actually to begin to kind of realize that whatever we get out there it's not necessarily going to lead, and it won't lead to lasting happiness. But we carry that with us in very subtle subtle ways and in some very uh, unsubtle ways. And one of the main habits that we cultivate as human beings, a lot of the Buddhist teachings put, really address this, this habit because it's really the source of so much suffering, which is that we tend, we've learned to cling to pleasure. You know, if we have a pleasant experience, our minds say, ah, happiness, good, great, let's have some more. Okay, so no judgment about that, but that's what our minds do. But the downside to that is, of course, that pleasant experience does change. That's its nature. There's nothing we can say about that particular experience that won't make a change so if we think our happiness isn't is dependent on that one pleasant experience or even many pleasant experiences we are setting ourselves up we're very vulnerable and we human beings are very vulnerable to suffering because we do have a strong tendency to cling to pleasure And on the on the flip side we are without a doubt deeply conditioned and trained and educated to think that if we avoid pain, you know if we can push away pain, if we can strategize our lives around avoiding pain, that somehow we are going to be at peace and unfortunately, that strategy does not work in fact, what it does is it undermines us, it generates a lot of anxiety it um I don't know if there's a word for it right word for it, but it it disempowers us when we do encounter pain. You know, we, we don't equip ourselves. And of course, in life, life is pleasure and pain often. You know, We experience pleasant and we experience unpleasant. And of course, the path to peace is learning how to relate to those experiences, relate to the reality of life, but in a way that doesn't generate suffering. And that takes a great deal of understanding and self-knowledge and self-awareness begin to see okay when this pleasant experience arises like for instance if you're sitting and and, you know you have like a couple of minutes let's just say or even a five or ten seconds of calm in your sitting you know the mind launches and grabs onto that five seconds and it really wants it to keep staying there and you know when it starts slipping away what happens you know causes us pain. We gen- it will generate feelings of self-judgment, or self-doubt, or um, doubt in what we're doing, and doubt in our practice. But the nature of that pleasant state of calm, it was impermanent. It came and it went. There's way more to the practice than just a few seconds of calm. It's much deeper than that. But it can be very uh, pleasant, and it can, in experiencing uh, that moment of calm or two that might occur in the first day of a retreat, um, it can be really helpful because we be- we can begin to see that happiness. We can begin to experience different kinds of happiness that aren't just tied into external conditions that aren't tied into something outside of ourselves, but it has something to do with the way something to do with the uh, way of practicing and nurturing certain qualities that do lead to calm. So, what we're doing on this path over and over again, whether we're brand new or whether we've been very, you know, done many retreats, we've been on this path of awareness for some time, is where um, we're awakening more fully to the present moment. We're getting in touch with the actual present moment experience that you're having. And there's nobody in this room that has had one. Completely sustained moment-to-moment pleasant experience from the time you got here to now without Some intermittent other experiences, right? So we don't always we're not like we're not all sitting here in ecstatic joy Most of us, okay There may be moments of joy and there can certainly be moments of joy And I will be talking about joy as part of the practice part of the, the benefits the fruit but the, the reality is is that we go through a lot of different things I mean, we have only been sitting for a day. Think of the range of experiences that we've gone through in a day today. You know, think of how many thoughts we've had. You know, sometimes we have this idea, you know, we might be very successful in our work or in livelihood or We might have our lives together, you know, and we think we're pretty bright. Not not many people really do think that, but some people do. And then um, we sit down, we start paying attention, and we realize, geez, you know, I keep having the same thoughts over and over and over again, and you begin to see that, you know, the mind maybe isn't, when it's really left to its own devices, when it's not, you know, occupied in a particular task or a project, that... We can, thinking can be extremely habitual. Uh, We can have the same thoughts over and over again. I can remember sitting sometimes, having the same thought over, the same song over and over and over, the same planning, the same fantasy, whatever it was, over and over again. And it's really helpful to see that because we can begin to see that the minds are very conditioned. You know, they're not like just free and creative and, you know, enjoying every moment of life. It, the, the mind can be very habitual. So, so what we're doing, of course, is opening to our authentic experience. And I say, fantastic! Yes, that's what I want personally in my life. I want authenticity. I want to know what my experience is. I don't want to be preoccupied with what I think I should. Be experiencing or what I shouldn't be experiencing I want to know what I'm experiencing now, to me that's the practice is knowing what your experience is because so much of the shoulds and the shouldn'ts we impose on ourselves, and we and they're imposed on uh, we internalize them but oftentimes they're imposed uh, outside of ourselves and they create a lot of problems for us because then we're often striving we're trying to to meet up, meet those expectations that we might impose on ourselves, and that's something extremely helpful to begin to look at, uh, both in your everyday life and in, in in the retreat experience, is to begin to recognize when we're imposing certain expectations on our experience. Like, in other words, we could be sitting here, and maybe today we've had two or three. Uh, Sittings in a row, or, or a lot of sleepiness and dullness, and uh, that I think most people, especially if you haven't gone through it and f- gone through the different phases of retreat, that can be a kind of a discouraging. It's not like you came here to sit and, you know, on a cushion and be sleepy all the time, right? I mean, you kind of hope that maybe something else was going to happen, uh, and it will, even though it maybe have been sleepy a lot. It will; these things do change. Um, but where we create suffering out of that is, is there inherent suffering? Is there inherent suffering in being sleepy? I wouldn't say so. You know, I would say how we relate to that sleepiness either creates suffering or brings a certain amount of peace. So when we go to bed at night, as I mentioned the other night, when we feel sleepy, we re- rejoice. That we feel sleepy. And I remember going to bed last night, you know, having some sleepiness during the day um, and traveling and all that and, and, you know, saying, okay, it's time to go to sleep, Michael. And Michael didn't want to go to sleep. He just was lying there. And he didn't like that. He's thinking, geez, if I don't get to sleep, I'm only going to have such and such hours uh, to get my sleep. And when is that going to be like tomorrow? And blah, 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 right? Okay, so where's the suffering? It's in not wanting, (laughs) not wanting to be awake, right? That's it. And so, okay, so noticing that, I realized, well, you know, uh, I am awake. And this may be the case, but at least I'm lying down. And so I'm resting. And within a few minutes, I dropped off. It was amazing. I think if I had struggled with it, you know, and kept like thinking that it was supposed to happen, I actually think it probably would have kept me awake. It's, and kind of when I just said, okay, I'm just going to lie here for a while and we'll just see how it goes, just rest my mind, you know, try not to think so much, but just be in my body and in, in a very relaxed way. And I went off. And it's not like that's a magic strategy. But you could try it, which is if you do go to bed tonight, you aren't sleepy, see if it's possible to relax into that and just um, rest in that space for a while. No harm done. You know, if you only get a couple hours of sleep at night, then you catch a little bit of rest at lunchtime, catch up. Um, You know, it's not a disaster. But when we're sitting on a cushion now, we don't want most of us don't want to be sleepy, and I know for me there was chronic state of aversion to sleepiness on the cushion you know just I really hated it you know it was like a mortal enemy, and I had a lot of it in these long retreats I would go through periods you know where you know you cycle through so much on a longer retreat like say a three month retreat you know there's just you know you can only imagine for those who've knew it's like you know it's just go through. L- wide ranges of experiences and sometimes the practice feels stable and peaceful other times you know the sleepiness is arising or there might be a certain feeling of restlessness or boredom or or a feeling sometimes of doubt arising like gee my i've been here for a month why aren't i someplace you know blah, blah 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 totally focused on my breath whatever the expectation might be And so that's a kind of, those kinds of expectations, very helpful to be aware of them. We can't just get rid of them. It's a learned experience condition, but we can become aware of them in some signals, okay? Big part of the path is getting to know yourself, huge, self-knowing, okay, self-knowing. So some of the signals that you might be clinging to a particular expectation, like there's an agenda that you're having, and that, that there's this expectation is say feelings of frustration or discouragement or impatience. You know, good example. We're standing in line. Just say there, and and you know we have an expectation that things should be moving at a certain pace, and and when it isn't, impatience arises. The impatience is arising. The suffering of impatience. We all know it. The suffering of impatience is, is, is a signal that we have a certain expectation that this line should be moving faster than it is. And of course, the actuality is the line is moving the way it is. And we actually don't necessarily control that process. But we can have some say. So by recognizing and acknowledging, oh, impatience is happening. And there's this wanting happening the, of the line. And just becoming aware of it without any self-criticism. You know, th- that's not going to help. I mean, self-criticism might, or, or even justification. You don't have to get behind it. We don't have to invest in those kind of habits. We can just simply say, oh, yeah, I, I can feel this impatience, and, and I can feel it in my body, and I can feel a little frustration or a little bit of irritation arising, whatever it might be. And so, so that's, that's a real signal that we're clinging on to something that isn't working for us. You know, what the Buddha said, wise effort, described wise effort as abandoning habits that generate suffering for us and cultivating the inner resources, the the qualities of heart and mind that lead to freedom. So abandoning like a habit like um, self-judgment or impatience, it doesn't mean that you reject it. And you think you're a bad person because you self-judge yourself or you're a bad person because you never experienced matter, or you're a bad person whatever it might be. No, it's recognizing at first that that's happening and mindfulness fortunately allows us to become aware of that without judging or without criticism. Yeah. So, so what happens is some of these habits that we've accumulated, I'll go through a few more in a minute um, because there are many, um, but some of these habits they, they, The way it works is just because you see it, it doesn't mean you're done with it, necessarily. They kind of have to wear themselves out. And some of them, they don't wear out very quickly. Uh, But at some point or another, some of these habits that we discover that aren't working for us, like, say, self-judgment, for instance, which can be a deeply ingrained habit, um, at some point, you know, as practice develops, we develop more faith, and we we begin to experience a little bit more love. In our life and towards ourselves we begin to shift that relationship a little bit we can begin to see that you know the self-judging and the self-hatred or the self-condemning we, we can it actually gets worn out it's like and we be, we can then discard that old chew that no longer we need that no that is just really causing us trouble and we don't need it anymore you know because we've discovered something else we've discovered another approach And practice over and over again is just that. It's that process of discovering something new. It's always about learning. It's always about discovering, oh, you know, sure, this, this thing that I'm carrying around with me, I, I see that suffering. I, I can see what I'm doing. I can see how I'm reacting to that situation. And, and in the seeing, we, we're, we're moving towards freedom. It's like as long as we don't see it, we're going to keep doing it. But by seeing it, we begin the, the function of mindfulness, one of the fruits of mindfulness is that it deconditions the mind. In other words, what it means, what it meets when it meets a conditioned habit, it doesn't feed it anymore. And so it begins to lose its power. And the miracle of mindfulness, I think, in the miracle of this practice is that's given how long we've been practicing and how deeply held these habits can be that we can actually move towards freedom from these habits so that they don't rule our life, so that we're not just always coming from the past, that we're always coming from habits that we've picked up along the way, the messages that we've integrated and absorbed in our life that really do not serve us. We can actually begin to let those go. But the key, biggest step is to begin to wake up to what we're doing and that's why it's the actuality of our experience that we're interested in. It's not about having that other experience, whatever it might sound like. It's about being with that experience, and then, but being with it in a way that is both wise, mm-hmm. and when we're suffering, that is more compassionate. So, one point I want to make is this world of difference, fundamental difference between being aware of a habit and not being aware of a habit. It's extremely important to realize that. World of habit. One leads to freedom, one leads to just repetition. So, some of the habits that we pick up, and it's fascinating that we can, uh, once we be, get sensitive and I'll have to tell you, it's probably a little bit helpful if you can begin to cultivate or at least discover a bit of uh, sense of humor uh, when you're looking at your mind, uh, because there's a lot of crazy stuff that's going on in there. And and if you take it all really seriously, um, there's going to be a battle going on there. There's going to be a lot of uh, stories, you know, getting behind the thoughts and rejecting the thoughts. So, you know, we are definitely fundamentally moving into a different relationship to the thinking process and I'll get to that in a minute but certainly one of the uh, main habits I think is' particularly deep in this these this cultures or cultures that we're living in is this sense of comparing and evaluating you know comparing ourselves to uh, some idea that we should be somewhere where we're not, but we're here, so it doesn't make us happy. Or we might be oftentimes, and this is very common, comparing ourselves to others. I mean, how many people are really free of that, of comparing yourself to others? In, a, in yogiland, in retreat, you know, it does arise quite often, actually. Um, it could be with your neighbor that you're sitting next to. You're sitting there, restless, fidgety, moving around, adjusting, you know, Pretending to be mindful, while the person next to you is like sitting really quiet, and you're creating all these stories, you know, all these stories about, you know, what's going, you know, what that person's about, you know, I bet they've been here a long time, uh, you, you know, um, they're just showing me up, um, you know, um, their bodies, there's no pain in their bodies, but look at mine um you know we tell ourselves all sorts of stories uh and so we get into this comparing and evaluating and and oftentimes our framework in in, in this present uh set of conditions uh, the framework is often uh based on success and failure right success and failure performance you know success achievement goals and in work you know livelihoods or sometimes it can be in you know other contexts but you know like you're in the best possible relationship you could be in or you've got as much money as you possibly could spend or um, you're healthy and you go to the gym every day and you know whatever that might be whatever we might judge as success and failure okay so those judgments can be out there they don't apply to this world Say that success and failure is extremely limited framework there's, never, n- there's no successful meditation that you can have, and there's no way you can fail. So it might be disappointing that there's no successful meditation that you can have, but it's very freeing, because then you don't have to think of those terms. And again, when you don't have to think about those terms, what does that do? Honestly, it leads to more relaxation. As long as you don't buy into the success or failure, Because if we buy into success or failure, what happens is it often leads to discouragement, resignation, self-doubt. That's the suffering that comes out of buying into that framework. And what we can see when we begin to observe our minds is that we are not in control of that moment-to-moment experience, you know, it's happening, it's changing, and we can Learn to relate to those changing experiences and work with them so that we're not generating suffering through the changing experiences, but the mind, thoughts, feelings, emotions, physical sensations are going to be coming and going. No matter how, what your practice is like, it's not going to get to a place where things are just, this is how it is and this is how it's going to stay. That's not the nature of our reality as human beings on this planet. We're in a constant state of change, but we need to relearn, learn to relate to that fact. Uh, it's crucial. determines whether we suffer or not. So, limitations of success or failure, of course, often leads to self-doubts. Um, you know, Imposing these kinds of expectations and the signals that are discouragement, disappointment, frustration, impatience... Um, the shoulds and shouldn'ts are all, all all kind of grouped into this kind of habit of uh, preconceptions about our, ourselves, all sorts of ideas about uh, who we should be or who we shouldn't be. Uh, and it's really helpful to begin to cut through that. To me, it, it's just a tremendous freedom, and he- it facilitates this healing process where we don't have to buy into that. It's such a narrow framework, and it's also oftentimes been... Um, it's a construction. You know, it's a construction. An ongoing construction about who we are or who someone else is or or, or, or the world that we're living in. We, we construct realities out of that rather than being really in touch on a deeper level, below that level of construction. So we're peeling away, you know, these preconceptions and beginning to deal with things as they are. And of course, for me, um... That's very important, to learn how to deal with things as they are. And it's challenging. Yeah. You know, it, it, it asks a lot of us. So another habit is the habit of thinking. Thinking, 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 thinking. Endlessly thinking, 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 thinking. As tired as you are, you're still thinking, 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 thinking. Okay, So there's a strong tendency to be preoccupied in thought. Certainly you have seen this on this retreat during this day. If you knew, if you've experienced, you've certainly seen it on this retreat and other retreats. Uh, so what we can see is that thoughts, the thinking process can be uh, habitual. And it's not that we, do, we, in this practice, try to abandon thinking. You know, the goal is not, is not designed to not have thoughts. Okay, remember, this needs to be a useful practice. Try living your life without thinking. I thought I could for a little while. It didn't work. Eventually, I had to start thinking about some things. So, thinking. So, it's not about abandoning thinking, but again, it's about moving into a different relationship with thinking. Rather than being unconsciously just cranking out thoughts, being aware that you're cranking out thoughts. Very different. Because now you're not feeding those thoughts. You're not buying in. They don't have to be your only reality. That's the key. For a lot of us, thinking is our only reality. We are thinking and experiencing life through our thought process. And the reality is, is we have another form of intelligence called awareness, mindfulness, which is silent, which can allow us to be mindful and aware of thoughts where we can actually meet the present moment without imposing opinions, views, and thoughts on that particular experience. It's very different different relationship and what happens and this is something we you know happens and and sometimes it happens in very i think mysterious ways is that when we cultivate mindfulness and we begin to have that as a resource that we can call on in other words the more we practice mindfulness the more capable we are of remembering to be mindful okay so what that means is we begin to develop the capacity to be mindful and the capacity to think Both. And we can call on those forms of intelligence because when they come together, when there's mindfulness linked with thinking, so often it leads our thinking in a direction of discernment, of wisdom. Because we're not just coming from conditioned thinking, but we see what our thinking is and then we can decide. Is that kind of thinking? If if the you know thought you know is a precursor to action, so is this is delving into these thoughts and following those thoughts are useful, or do we need to kind of examine? Well, you know, where are the where's the where's that thinking taking us? You know, is it taking us to a place uh, where we genuinely want to go, where 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 we are going to find some kind of freedom or peace? Or is it just like kind of habitual thinking that keeps looping around over and over again? Um, because so often our thinking is conditioned by the past, of course, by our history. And we, and we bring that past into the present. And what I want to say is one moment of mindfulness, of thinking, is a moment of freedom. Okay. So if you spent these five days together, and you had one moment of mindfulness, my assessment would be great. It was worth the five days. Now, if you spent five days and there wasn't one moment of mindfulness, I would say you at least ate very well for five days. <laughs> okay, And you didn't have to cook. So that's good too. But there's going to be more than one moment of mindfulness, and there already has been. You know, it's enormously powerful. Even one moment of mindfulness can transform consciousness at times. One moment of awakening, seeing something that you're doing and all of a sudden, at some point or another, you realize you don't have to keep doing it. You don't have to keep doing it. And that can come in one moment, but it requires practice. So that one moment comes up. You know, that one moment is something that we tap into. We already know how to think. It's not that our thinking is always useful, but we know how to think. But this other way of being aware of thinking or being, being, just silently being mindful, knowing what this experience, what is happening, this sensation is happening now, this think thought process is happening now, thinking is going on, come back. Using the method as a way to support as we develop the practice through this retreat we will be moving into different phases of instructions and we will be talking more about mindfulness of thought but right now what we're doing is hey be mindful of your thought then notice that you've been wandering or lost or caught and notice that that's a moment of mindfulness that moment that you're aware of it it's not a failure it's not like it wasn't supposed to happen. It just was a moment of mindfulness, which is great. And then making the wise choice. That's where the wise effort comes in. Making the wise choice to use the method. Take advantage of the method. There's a reason why there is, this method is being presented because it knows just how powerful. If we came up in first opening instructions was just be mindful of everything that's going on. You know, just be, Take mindfulness of thinking as your anchor. Good luck. That's what I say. Good luck. Very few people could do it. You'd end up just thinking about what it means to be mindful of thinking. Instead, taking the body, taking the sensations, you know, getting that anchor established through the first couple of days, practicing that quality of mindfulness so that eventually when we begin to expand the field of mindfulness, the practice, we then have more of a capacity to do that. Because being mindful of thinking is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Because we learn, we live in our thoughts. So little bit about my past with practice. I met uh, Joseph Goldstein and Sharon Salzberg, two of the three founders of this center, Insight Meditation Center. I met them at a place called Naropa Institute, and it was in 1974. And they had just come back from Asia. And Naropa, at that point, it was the first, I believe it was the first summer that Naropa was open. Um, and you know, predominantly has a Tibetan Buddhist orientation. Um, but I remember going, uh, went saved up some money and went um, for five weeks in the summer. And I wanted to you, you know explore different forms of Buddhism, different teachings. And in the first class I signed up for was this class with Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Some of you may have read his books. Well, very well, very well known. Provocative Tibetan teacher, um, and I went to his class, and he would come about three hours late. Um, and that's kind of how that unfolded. A- and I kind of had the sense what, you know, as profound as the teachings were, probably wasn't necessarily my cup of tea. Uh, and then I went to a Zen teacher, and I remember the class was at, and it's amazing, this is so long, like how many years? I don't even want to think, it's like a long time ago. Um, and I was just eight years old at the time. <laughs> just in case you're trying to age me. Um, so I went to the Zen class, and it was right after lunch, and literally every class, we all, including the teacher, fell asleep. <laughs> we all just sat there, and within 10 minutes, we were all nodding off. We were gone. You know. And I, and I realized, well, he was a very soft-spoken Zen teacher, a lovely man. Um, and that didn't inspire me. Right? And then somebody said to me, you know, this guy Joseph Goldstein, you know, he's back from... Uh, Asia, and he's teaching uh, you know, it's insight meditation, mindfulness insight meditation. What, so I said, okay, I'll check it out. So I went into his class, and it had already started, so it was like one week into it, and I got in there, and I sat up. And, you know, it was really amazing because, first of all, the teachings were very clear to me, and I could actually understand them. And some of the teachings I really couldn't understand very well at that particular point. They were just too obtuse to me, and I, and I didn't really quite get it. His was very plain language, very straightforward, talked a lot about mindfulness. Um, and to me, it was like a light bulb going, going off because um, what I saw was that there was another way. That I, w- By that point, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to think my way out. I was very aware of suffering but I also was very aware that I wasn't going to be able to just think my way out of this mess that my mind was in. And he offered a different approach. And so I grabbed it. And that's the beauty of mindfulness, is it gives you a a new way of approaching this body-mind process. It, It allows us to meet our present moment in a very fresh way. And what he'd say is just, you know, be Mindful of your experience you don't have to to be brilliant or think your way out or any of that it 's just just you know just let's just try to settle things down and just try start relating to the present moment and try to be in your body and then try to to be mindful when things arise. Just pay attention to them you don't have to think about them you don't have to reflect you don't have to always know what they mean, but just pay attention from one moment to the next and to me that that was just very powerful and and what I saw was is that um, not to just solely rely on thought. Because frankly, what thought was doing for me at that time was just digging a bigger hole at that particular point. You know, It just wasn't leading to freedom. So, mindfulness is a very different kind of approach. And uh, we, we're asking ourselves to do is to take a fresh look every time you sit, every time you walk, whatever you're doing, it's, it's to bring that quality of, oh, uh, it's, you know, this is happening. You know, I'm looking at the bulletin board. Ah, excitement. Ah, boredom. Ah, schedule hasn't changed. Disappointment. Okay. So putting on your shoes and someone runs into you, um, you know, oh, what a pain. You know, this is a meditation center. Why are we, why are we rushing, you know? Reaction. So we're just being mindful of what we're going through in a day, and that's really different. And these conditions are meant to are designed to support that being mindful of what you're doing, rather than just just being just going through the motions. And that's why putting on your shoes is just as important as sitting on the cushion. Being mindful of that process when you go and you put your coat on and you put your shoes on is just as much of a meditation. It really is, it's not just a line, it really is, because this is lots of learning. And in this particular tradition, there are lots of enlightenment experiences. Don't count on it, but it might happen. Um, there's enlightenment experiences that can come from any experience that we're having, You know, because it's the quality of attention, the presence that leads to it. It's not that it has to be a particular kind of experience that you're having, but it's about how you are with that experience. And working with feelings like, you know, having imposing those expectations, those habits on yourself, so that you don't get too frustrated with yourself, so you don't get too disappointed, or, or you don't start undermining your effort, um, or that you don't start getting caught up in self doubt. So finally, um, I wanted to just say something about the the. I have a couple more things to add, actually. Um, So the quality of effort, you know, effort has a, uh, I mean, I've always felt this way. Effort's kind of a bad, it's got a bad rap because, you know, effort is often associated with achieving, striving, comparing, evaluating, judging, you know, getting somewhere, becoming something, whatever that might be. This kind of effort that we're doing here is very different. It's very, very different. It's about being with your experience, not making an experience, you know, it's being with whatever is happening. You know, you're sleepy. You're sleepy. Okay, so I'm sleepy. So what? What can we do? We can observe sleepiness. We could sit up straight. We could open our eyes. We could stand. We could do some fast walking to help balance the sleepiness in the sitting in the hall. But you know, we can work with it. It's just an arising condition that just is happening right now under this set of conditions, and it's certainly not an unusual condition. Uh, We're all very familiar with that. So what we're developing is. A a, a kind of effort that's gentle. You know, that's gentle. It's not the striving energy. It's gentle, and it's gentle yet perseverance. You know, the Buddha described wise effort as like tuning the strings of an ancient uh, stringed instrument, lute. Okay, if we tune the strings too tight, it's painful to play. Okay, so if we strive and we're working and it's grim and it's just, you know, push, push, push into having some experience that's striving energy and my heavens my first few years of practice was so built on striving and at some point or another I just said enough you know enough of that pushing and striving and thinking I should be having these experiences that I've read about and just start relaxing a little bit and just pay attention to what my own experience is and just deal with that so it's, it's learning to be more allowing of your experience you know giving it some room giving yourself some room in a room you know it doesn't mean that it's not the opposite of indulgence you know i mean it's not indulgence it's giving seeing if you can give some room to the the things that are arising uh, you know an inquiring question for instance uh, to ask oneself is can i make room for this you know if you're feeling sleepy can i make room for the sleepiness you know is is it okay to just have this particular experience or when we're feeling bored Making room. can I make room? Now you might get a no. And it's actually quite likely. You might get a no, which is resistance to it. And so make room for that. I don't want to be sleepy. you know I don't care what he says. You know, I don't want to be sleepy when I'm sitting on the cushion. Okay, fine, but be with that. Notice the frustration. Notice the self-judgment. notice the disappointment or the anger that might come up around that. You know? All of that's OK as long as we're taking it as something to be mindful of. And all of it is very natural. Experienced meditators go through these things, you know, where we, we get very familiar with these things. Um, and, you know, that's 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 what practice is, is seeing what we're doing. And, and what we need to do is see the things that aren't working for us in order to change them, quite frankly. You know, that's the path of awakening. That's why it leads to freedom, is when we see... What we're doing isn't working for us. We cultivate qualities that are, that do serve us. You know. That's when the mind begins to transform and change. That's when we actually begin to experience ourselves and the world that we're living in in a fundamentally different way. So mindfulness is certainly one of those inner inequalities. Um, and so this attitude of being more allowing or can I make room is a question that you should ask when you find that, that the times are hard, you know, when you're facing something in your practice uh, internally that's going on or with your body is, can I make room with that, for that? And if it's painful, can I hold it with some compassion? You know, I've often asked, I've done that with my arm, for instance. Some aversion might build up at certain times and I'll say, well, you know, can I make room for that pain? You know, um, can I hold that, that uh, un- discomfort with compassion rather than judging, you know? And it's a question, again, sometimes maybe I can and sometimes maybe I can't. But asking the question is important because at one point or another you might say yes. And then we realize that, wait a second, instead of avoiding pain or instead of uh, strategizing and thinking that that's the only way we're going to be happy, well, we might actually find some happiness in cultivating some compassion towards ourselves. You yeah. know? When we are in pain, and so those are the kind of resources that we're cultivating in this practice that we're doing here, and it's certainly worth the effort, but the quality of the effort needs to be gentle, yet showing up the parts of our peace, because we, as I've said a few times already, and why I keep saying it, I guess, is because I really do feel this down to my bones, is that we are asking a lot of ourselves to take on this path and it doesn't have to be grim in fact I would encourage you not to have that relationship to it Um, and hold it a little bit lighter maybe and the reason it becomes so grim often is because of our expectations you know something we're imposing on ourselves because otherwise the conditions are not that bad here Um, and uh, you know the schedule is for those of you who do it sure it seems really arduous. But in the old days, uh, <laughs> the schedule was a lot harder. <laughs> One-hour sittings, not 45-minute sittings, no 30-minute sittings. But anyway, we'll save that for another time. <laughs> so anyway, that's my story for tonight. Uh, that's all I have to say. And uh, why don't we just sit for a minute in silence before uh, we move out of the hall. Thank you for listening.